what's going on y'all welcome back to the cold seat podcast where the seats are cold but the takes are hot episode 45 coming at you today got an nhl standings update big uh golf sections or golf segment this week we got the masters obviously starting off today um been a great round um you know as most guys are basically wrapping up round one today um no mlb early in the season this week um you know only a weekend so probably won't get much coverage there um, we'll have some college baseball for you guys uh, we'll have a little final four national championship recap from march madness um not much on nfl no no real news this week for agency kind of just still waiting in a holding period um just waiting on some stuff then obviously we will uh cool it off with the ice bath at the end but turn up the heat today and i'm gonna let brett start it this week um we're cranking up the heat yeah i mean my take i wouldn't say is too hot um it's that golf is better to watch than soccer um, I unfortunately haven't been to a golf event in person and I haven't been to a soccer event in person either. Um, I just picked soccer because soccer is like widely like across the globe. It's the most watched sport in the world. So I figured that would be hotter than saying like maybe a popular sport in the U.S. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely like watching it more on TV. I feel like soccer on TV, like it's so zoomed out. Everyone's so small and like you get like what four goals in a two hour period if you're lucky a lot of the times less than that so i just like golf a lot more notes more niche and not nearly as widely followed as soccer but yeah i mean i just thought of that and i couldn't really think of anything better so i just went with it no i like it um not like i said not not too hot um but you know if you take it out of context it could be um like there's some soccer soccer matches where like the the environment is is second to none, but um, you know international games sometimes big rivalry games out in Europe, especially in England. Um, you know, like Man U and Man City is probably I've heard is crazier. Like Chelsea and Liverpool is insane. So, um, but no golf. I enjoy watching golf on TV. I think it's a thing that like as you get older you can appreciate more. Um, like when I was a kid, I didn't love watching golf when I was younger. But as I've kind of gotten older and appreciate the game a little bit more, it's it's uh, really enjoyable to watch on TV. I'm um, obviously relevant right now, of course. Um, you know, with the Masters and all that, probably going to get the most eyes on golf. We'll get all year, um, kind of as the cycle goes. Um, but my uh, crank up to you a little bit this week again, keeping it pretty mild, and that we both are we both went with sports. I know I promised to go with a different uh, non-food related topic this week, um, so I went with a a sports take this week. I got uh, Clayton Kershaw is the greatest pitcher of this generation. So that includes like Verlander, Scherzer, um, which are the kind of the two other big names that come up. But you can throw Degrom in there um, because I think it's not just like how good a guy's guy is. Um, you know, it's kind of a, take everything into account, not just like their prime, not just you know like you know their best full game. Um, you got to take into account like you know the longevity of their career, the way that they're winning, the way that they dominate guys. Um, and I think when you look at it, like uh, of those guys, Kershaw was in the league, um, like in the majors, I believe, at the youngest. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Verlander and Scherzer are both older. But, I mean, Kershaw's still been doing, like, dominating for a longer period of time than both those guys. Um, and they're both older than him, right? So, um, you know, I, I, Kershaw's only, like, 34, I think, right now, 35. Um, so it's not like he's – I think he's 35. Not like he's super old, but he's not young by any means. And – from like a pitcher standpoint, the number of pitches on his arm um, is crazy. He's got, uh, you know, a 
a super low career career era and i think people like baseball fans now forget how quite literally untouchable he was like in his prime like in the ways that Verlander and Scherzer were as well, in the way that DeGrom is at times. Um, obviously, they won in different ways. Like, Kershaw wasn't pumping up the fastball at 104 and 103 and throwing 93-mile-an-hour sliders. Like, like yeah, like in his prime, DeGrom's stuff's probably the most unhittable we've ever seen. But at the same time, like, DeGrom, how, like, he's never pitched a full season at, a, in like at, a, at, a, at an elite level. Like, he's always been hurt or... You know, and that's unfortunately like you can't you don't want to knock a guy for injury, but like you got to praise the guys who don't suffer those like major injuries. Um, I mean, there was a season where Kershaw was on pace to strike out like 360 and then he, you know, obviously talk about injuries like he got hurt and ended up finishing the season. Um, got an elbow injury and had surgery and couldn't really do anything the rest of the year. But um, I think people just forget how dominant he was in his prime. And I mean, the guy's been in the league God, he's been in the majors for a long time, and the guy just still, still, still so dominant. Um, he said two, you know, his first outing was great. He's got another another outing tomorrow against the Diamondbacks again, matching up with Mad Bum. And um, I mean, he took he had he took two perfect games into the seventh last year. Um, at that age, it's crazy. Um, and I just don't think I think the way that he wins is very much more nuanced than the way that um, you know, guys like Scherzer um and, and Degrom win where they just they throw the heater and it's, it's really hard to hit, but uh, I, I think that the way in which Kershaw wins with the off-speed stuff, he's the master of the sleeve. He's got one of the best sliders of all time. Just, just the way he sequences it. It's not like he's throwing, you know, he's never throwing 102 off, you know, off the mound. He's always throwing high nineties, but obviously it's come down a lot um, it, with, with the age, but um, you know, the curveball is, is one of the best all time. So, um, you know, classic like 12, six, you know, drops right out from under you. Changeup's been solid uh, later in his career. The slider obviously has been – it's his main pitch. It's just the way he wins and the way he's won for so long and the way that he's been able to diversify his game and, and tailor it to what his his arm can physically do is just second to none. I think it kind of gets underappreciated and kind of undervalued uh, with the guys. You know, everyone loves, like, you know, Ben Joyce throwing 106 off the mound, which is great. But, like, not all those guys have great ERAs. And I use Ben Joyce because, like, he was a huge name in college baseball last year as a reliever. and Or guys like, um, you know, Spencer Strider, who's really who's awesome, by the way. Strider's incredible. But um, you still get guys who throw high high velocity, get, get more of the love. And I just wanted to shine some light on the greatness that is Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I like that take. Um, and it's definitely reasonable. I might argue Verlander, but I don't think anyone other than that in terms of, you know, the past 15 years or so, I don't think I would argue anyone else. But, yeah, I mean, definitely reasonable take. Um, you look at stats, you know, appearances, wins, longevity, stuff like that. Um, I definitely see it. But with that, we will roll into the NHL section. Um, just a quick standings update this week. So the season's wrapping up soon. But, you know, teams having either – four or five games remaining in their regular season schedule, which is 82 games total for the Eastern conference. Um, the top eight teams from each conference make the playoffs and four series um, with teams matched up against each other in each conference in the East in eighth, we have the New York Islanders at 39, 30 and nine with 87 points, Florida Panthers, 40, 21 and seven, 87 points. Tampa Bay Lightning at 45, 27, and 6, 96 points. Toronto Maple Leafs at 46, 21, and 10, 102 points. The New York Rangers, 46, 21, and 11 at 103 points. 
the New Jersey Devils at 49, 21, and 8 at 106 points. Carolina Hurricanes in second with 50, 18, and 9 as their record, sitting at 109 points. And then the best team in the league by 16 points, the Boston Bruins, who are 60, 12, and 5. So pretty impressive stuff from them. Um, They clinched President's Trophy, all that. As, like I said, the second best team is the Hurricanes right now in their own conference. Yeah, um, distribution's been yeah almost identical week to week in the Eastern Conference. Maybe some shuffling, um, you know, kind of in the mix. But other than that, I mean, the distribution itself's been identical this whole whole kind of process. Um, going to the Western Conference again, distribution's been about the same. Where the lowest of of the top eight, the lowest points is higher than the number eight points in the East, but the top is also way lower. So just a tighter point spread here from one to eight. Being what's that a 15 point difference versus a, um, you know, is that 20, 30? What's that? It's been a lot. I took two tests today. It's been a long day. So my math is struggling. Or is that 38 points, right? 38 point difference. Yeah. And that's crazy. So, um, but we got the Jet, the Winnipeg Jets at 43, 32 and 3, 89 points, um, sitting there at eighth. Seattle Kraken at 43, 26 and 8 with 94 points. In the seventh place, at sixth place, you got the Minnesota Wild, 44, 23, and 10, 98 points. Also with 98 points, the Dallas Stars at 42, 21, and 14. Another team here with 98 points is the Colorado Avalanche, uh, last year's Stanley Cup winner at 46, 24, and 6. Uh, Kings, two points ahead of them at 100 in the third, in third place with 45, 23, and 10 record on the season so far as we kind of come down the stretch here. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers at 47, 23, and 9, 103 points home down the second spot and one point ahead, just slightly ahead in the uh, overall record column as well. The Vegas Golden Knights at 48, 22, and 8. Um, yeah, I missed some shuffling kind of at the top, but um, it'll be a pretty tight race as we go. Well, they've got how many games do they have left? I think it's, you know, they've got like a handful. It's like four, three or four. Four or five. Um, you know, Seneca playoffs begin on Monday, the 17th of April. So um, coming up here in what, basically 10 days, um, you know, after today. So uh, kind of getting to the home stretch here. going to see kind of some final pushes. I know, um, I believe the Calgary Flames are, I think that it was them or somebody else that was sitting right behind the Jet, the Winnipeg Jets with 89 points with a couple different uh, record numbers. Obviously, the Jets only tying in three games is big with more games in the win column at 43. But um yeah, I mean, going to be a push here to come down the stretch and, um, you know, be curious to see if teams like the Bruins and the Hurricanes, um, the the Devils and the Golden Knights can all kind of carry over their regular season dominance towards the uh, Stanley Cup playoff where obviously um, upsets are known to happen. Home ice is big and, you know, if a team can steal a road game, it's it's huge. So definitely curious to see, um, you know, if those teams can carry it on, especially the Bruins. I mean, they've been the overwhelming favorite all year. Can they carry this momentum and ride this wave into the playoffs? I make a run. Yeah, definitely. I think a more intriguing conference top to bottom is the West. Um, you look at the Knights who won a recently um, newer team. Kraken, the newest team in the league, uh, one of the expansion teams. But overall, a lot of teams that have been here before have been at the top for most of the season. The Stars were at the top for a while, still only six points back, but nonetheless in fifth in the conference. To make for an exciting Stanley Cup playoffs that begins on Monday, April 17th. 
So about 11 days away from that. Looking forward to it. Um, that's pretty much it for the NHL as of now. Might have a playoff preview um, in a couple weeks when we talk about it again. But talking about golf, so last weekend we had the Valero Texas Open, uh, one of the smaller events on the PGA Tour. It's held at the TPC San Antonio Oaks course in San Antonio, Texas, obviously. Uh, J.J. Spawn won the event last season. A really close event the whole way. Honestly, it was you know, fun to watch down the stretch. Corey Connors, a Canadian, ended up winning the event at 15 under, taking home 1602000 Nice payday for him, but a lot of the guys that probably would have won this event didn't participate, um, given that the Masters was this weekend, the biggest event of the year. Um, the Masters, you know, always a prestigious event. Played at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. The purse is $15 million, which seems smaller this year due to the purse uh, inflation to better compete with the Live Golf Tour. It will include some Live Golfers as well, as it is the first major of the season, and the Live Golfers are um, you know, exempt and can play in the majors, only being four of them every calendar year. Scotty Scheffler, world number one, won the event last season. And is still number one right now as the favorite to win this week. Playing pretty well right now. I believe he's on the 17th um, as we're talking in his opening round. And as round one is wrapping up as a whole for the field, um, you look at the leaderboard and it's Victor Hovland, John Rahm, and Brooks Kepka. They're all currently tied for the lead after shooting a 7-under 65 to open the tournament. Really strong from them. Um I mean, look for the winning score to be anywhere from, you know, 16 to 20 under around there. Saw Dustin Johnson win it in late 2020, the COVID-delayed Masters at 20 under. Can't remember what the score was last year, but normally around that range is what the winning score ends up being. And depending on the conditions for the rest of the way, um, you know, it's called calling for some cooler, rainy weather this weekend. So that could always alter the scores, make it a little bit harder. So it's imperative for these guys to come out to a fast start and really you know, put the best scores out that they can early on. Um, you know, top storylines so far, only being a one day in, include Tiger Woods obviously shooting a two over, 74. Um, not a great round for him. Pretty consistent, just never really had a big shot. He had a big putt. I can't remember what hole on the back nine it was. But other than that, couldn't really get anything going. Um, John Rahm shot nine under the rest of the way after doubling the first, which was incredible. Um, you know, we see a lot of guys shoot, they get birdie on the first, they can do a lot worse as well. And I think he had the worst score of the day. Funny that, you know, the second ranked golfer in the world gets the worst score of the day on the first hole of the biggest tournament of the year. Um, that's just how golf is. And I mean, he showed that he can adjust. He knows this course really well. The guys with experience, it pays off for them here at this golf course. And for him to finish the round seven under after doubling was huge. Um, another storyline, Cam Young, probably the longest hitter on tour. He's currently in second at five under. Really consistent round from him. He started out hot, faded a little bit, but overall um, still hit all the shots he needed. And in a loaded field, the course is playing rather easy on the first day. Um, mentioned that the leader's at seven under. That'll probably stay. I don't think anyone's going to finish coming at eight under. Um, you know, it's playing later. And... Overall, there are seven amateurs in the field this week, I think. And one of the amateurs, Sam Bennett from Texas A&M, he's playing really well. And at the time, back when he was on the second hole, he's currently, uh, I believe, on the 18th. 
he was the first player ever at the Masters to birdie the first hole and eagle the second in the same round. So being three under through two, first player ever. Um, but after that, I mean, 20 minutes later, Sam Burns became the second player ever, uh, which is pretty ironic. And Burns ended up birdieing the third as well, which was also a first-time deal at Augusta. So a lot of those scores being posted. Um, really looking forward to see how the amateurs doing. I think the youngest player in the field this week is out of Vanderbilt. I think he's 19 years old, years old, and he won the amateur cup last year or this year. No, uh, Bennett won it last year. But really fun to see how it all shakes out. Obviously, three days of golf left. A lot to, um, a lot remains to be seen, and it'll be interesting to see how the course changes from day to day and how these players, you know, adjust with their approaches and stuff like that. Yeah, um, d- didn't get a chance to watch. Um, Kind of the first part of the, the day, I watched you know a couple holes here and there, um, but you know two tests this morning, so it's pretty pretty locked up early in the day. Um, kind of the second half of the day, they'll have the Masters on, um, kind of watching the, again the tail end of each of everyone's round. But um, I mean three guys at seven under through 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 a round is crazy. Um, I mean it's really good golf. Um, you know really curious to see kind of how. And less about tomorrow, uh, more about um, rounds three and four. But guys like Brooks Kepka and, and you know Cam Smith, how do how do they how how do those guys handle a, a fourth round of golf? You know what I mean. Obviously Brooks not playing well as of late. Um, good to see him have a good round here. Um, you know I don't I, I like Brooks beforehand. You know before I went to the live, I don't I don't hate the guy now. I wish he was still in the PGA, but it is what it is. I'm not gonna, just gonna. You know, re- you know, heavily root against him. Um, still think he's a good golfer. Obviously, having a good round today. Had a great round, great round today. Um, but how do how do guys like him and Cam Smith? How do they take, you know, playing in three round tournaments every every you know weekend or over their weekend to now playing in a in a four round tournament where, um, obviously it's not been that long, but it's been long enough to where their bodies may be less conditioned for it, um, and their games maybe maybe should be less conditioned for it. So interesting to see. How those guys kind of go through the weekend, um, especially into round four, assuming Cam makes the cut. Um, you know, Tiger shooting two, uh, you know, two two overs, not great, um, but glad he's out there. He, you know, could definitely set himself up for a couple, couple better holes tomorrow. Um, what do you think the cut's going to be? Like around four? Or four I'm not or five? sure yet. Um... I don't remember what it was last year, but depending on how the course is tomorrow, I could see it. I guess that's true. Yeah, it's really one under if that weather comes. Well, it depends if that if that weather comes in overnight too, right? If that the wind and I know it's not supposed to come till Saturday, but if if they get a little something early tomorrow, um, obviously weather patterns can change. I'm not a meteorologist over here, but I do know that weather weather can change fairly quickly. Um, so you know if they get some weather tomorrow or some unexpected, you know whatever, just the greens are playing super different i could see that happening um but overall i'm just excited for it obviously day one is tough is always one of these guys that that's in the top you know 20 on day one's you know gonna have a bad day tomorrow maybe not make the cut or have a bad round three or bad round four so um but definitely you know good to see some big names at the top and then a couple guys that are not that victor hovland's like an like an unknown but um to the casual golf fan you probably wouldn't know victor hovland right like you obviously know you know john rom and and Brooks, but you know, good to see uh, Victor Hovland up there as well. And really looking forward to tomorrow and kind of just how the tournament plays out. I'm really looking forward to it. Probably gonna listen to it in the car, drive home tomorrow for Easter. Definitely watch Saturday. Obviously watch Sunday. 
Um, but yeah, man, it's I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, I, and it's just I'm hoping I'm hoping we get a great ending like we have, um, you know, the past few years where I hope we get a really good round of four and it comes down to the wire between you know one to three or four guys. It'd be awesome. For sure, yeah, I think it will. I mean, last year we didn't see it. Yeah. That close for. Like Scotty pretty much had it one after nine holes, but you know a lot of the time we see it come down to the wire uh, with Hideki Matsuyama winning it in 2021, uh, DJ winning it in 2020. He won it by four shots, I believe. Cam Smith came in second at 16 under. So a lot of the times you see you know one guy kind of pull away with it late on Sunday, um, but you know I was rooting for a close finish like we saw at the PGA Championship last year with Justin Thomas winning it. You know. Post finishes that come down to the wire always seem to be more enjoyable for everybody, um, except the two guys or three guys that are competing. But they always seem to be more enjoyable, um, you know, garner more attention and stuff like that. Um, but we'll probably talk about Masters, do a little recap next week, uh, as we normally do. But in terms of next weekend, uh, we have the RBC Heritage. That'll be played at Harbor Town Golf Links, as it always is, in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Purse will be 20 mil, which is actually um, a little bit more than the Masters purse this week, like I mentioned, due to the inflated purse. Uh, Jordan Spieth won the event last year, and with the winner taking home 18% of the purse, um, 3.6 mil will go home with the winner, um, as that is their portion of the pot. So looking forward to that event as well, one of the you know more iconic golf courses of the non-major events on the PGA Tour schedule. That pretty much wraps up. Uh, golf this week mentioned that as for the MLB, since it's early in the season, we're only six games in. There's no standings or stats update since there's really nothing to talk about. Everyone's going to be right together in terms of stats and in standings. You know, everyone's going to be fairly close as well. So probably start that next week. Um, you know, we have probably a dozen games for each team under their belt. But yeah, looking forward to the MLB season as well. I think it's going to be a good season this year. Um, you know, I think. We're not going to have as many teams playing poorly. Obviously, there's still going to be a couple teams, but I think it's going to be a lot more competitive for those wild card spots in the playoffs. And even for some division titles, I think it'll be a lot closer down the stretch than it has been the past few years. Yeah, hoping we see a lot of parity. Um, obviously, I mean, it's early. All right, I mean, the Angels started last year as one of the best records in the league, and then obviously it not happened. They didn't finish the year that well. So I'm um, hoping we get some parity throughout the year. Um, it should be interesting to kind of see what happens with some big names. The deadline, obviously, I've talked about Corb- Corbin Burns before. Um, just being a guy who doesn't really seem like he's he's happy with the situation. It seems like there's a big, a huge rift between the you know his relationship with the front office and um, guy like Tim Anderson as well. Another name has been talked about getting moved. Obviously, Shohei Otani is in you know impending free agency. Um, does a team. You know, I feel like they want to get him in the building now and see if they can keep him in the little room to stay. Um, does it, or is there a team that goes, man, like we feel like we're really close right now. Probably can't sign him, but like we feel like he could, the, he's the piece to go win a World Series right now. So there could be a team that, you know, like uh, could be a team that goes and does that. I, I don't know. So we're, it's gonna be really interesting to see um, kind of how that market unfolds. Obviously, be some other names we don't really know about yet. That we could see have that happen with. So, um, just again, hoping we see parity, um, you know, health throughout the league. Obviously, no crazy big injuries yet, but I'm hoping that kind of holds. Um, you know, getting guys healthy, everybody staying healthy. I think the league is at its best when everyone's, you know, all the superstars are playing and every team's healthy. So, 
Um, but yeah, kind of like like Brett said, it's a little early. Um, there's really no, I mean, settings are all teams are all within like you know a game or two. So uh, probably wait a couple weeks for that. But stats, maybe start talking about next week who's who's hot to start the year that all that stuff. But um, a weekend is probably just too soon to start getting all that kind of stuff going without just being a little bit redundant. But that's so we've got some college baseball this week. Um, get some big series this week. Um, yeah, weekly. What is it? Week four of conference play. Um, nothing too crazy. Uh, nothing. Not, not a ton of moving and shaking. Um, kind of just what kind of what you what you expect. Obviously, LSU has been the number one team in the country this year, and um, they've looked the part. They were the preseason one. They've been the one in every single week, um, and they look really really good right now. So, um, yeah, I'll let Brett kind of preview these series this week. Maybe make, maybe we'll make some picks, and then um, we'll kind of keep it pushing. Yeah, we got about seven big series this week, and I think that I put down, um, you know, right off the bat, talking about LSU, how they've been number one in every poll every week this season, from the preseason poll to, you know, week seven, I think we're in. So they have a big series this weekend um, at number six, South Carolina. You know, South Carolina has the best offense in the nation right now, but I'm still probably going with LSU because they have the best player and the best pitcher in the country. So I'll go with LSU in that one. Um, that one starts tonight and then, yeah, I'll let you make your pick and then we'll alternate through. Yeah. Um, man, it's tough. L- South Carolina's had an awesome kind of turnaround this year. Um, they've got, they've got the, probably the best freshman in the country is on the, on that South Carolina team. Um, I'm going to forget his name right now, but he's a stud. Um, it's hard to pick against LSU though. They haven't lost a series all year. They've, they, they seem to just, they've found a way to grind out um games late in you know late in games they find a way to you know win um just multitude of different ways but um i don't know if they've been in an environment like south carolina is going to have i think that they're going to be juiced um that said i'm not going to pick against lsu this week i'll go lsu I'd, I'd love to pick south carolina and i really want to i just don't know um with a guy like obviously tommy white and dylan cruz i mean cruz is so battle tested and it feels like he's just numb to home field advantage for other teams. He's just, he's that good. Um, so I'm going to pick LSU, uh, but I think it's going to be three really great games. I don't think they're going to have any, any, you know, stinkers. I hope, uh, yeah, hopefully they're all great, but I think, I think we're going to have a tight series um, in, in South Carolina this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have that freshman you're talking about is like Brock Petrie or something. He's an outfielder for that. Yeah. Um, he's a he he's a freaking stud man yeah, his numbers his, his numbers are crazy his power numbers are crazy and he's just really really good yeah he's been awesome uh to this point in the season next series we have uh also starts tonight it's number nine boston college at number 18 louisville pretty big matchup here in the acc um you know boston college kind of a newer powerhouse uh just entered the top 10 this week and Louisville's normally always pretty good at baseball. Last year they were really good. Um, I believe they'd be A and M. And yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to see this series as well. I always I don't really watch. I probably watch like one or two other games over the weekend that aren't tech games, and they're normally pretty good. You know, high ranked matchups. Not watching like random like Florida Gulf Coast. Even though, even though they're they're playing actually pretty well, but. Point is, yeah. like, I'm normally watching like SEC games and stuff like that. I'm not paying much attention to ACC baseball just because it hasn't been great this year. But this is definitely probably the two te- two of the top teams, um, you know, with Miami being thrown in there as well. So I'm looking forward to the series. 
And I'll go with Louisville. I think they have one of the better home crowds just from what I've seen. And I'll go with them to get a top 10 series win. Yeah. Um, BC is definitely kind of one of the more, if you want to talk about surprising storylines, I guess we've had the year. Um, I would say BC is probably up in that, in that category. Um, like you said, ACC baseball, not traditionally uh, like elite, elite, but talk about some some really good teams this year with um, obviously BC, uh, Louisville's ranked. Uh, you got Virginia at seven. Clemson's actually had a pretty good year. Uh, Wake Forest is what at two right now. So um, they're having they're having a really good uh, and then obviously Miami. So um, you know ACC is having a great year. I like to see kind of the parity throughout the conferences. Um, but on, I'll go BC in a big. This is a this is a big test for them, I think. Going to an environment like like Louisville, like you said, top twenty matchup. Uh, give me BC in this this weekend and, and kind of a big. Um, I don't want to say upset, but um, I'll say a a statement win, a, a statement series win in, in hostile territory this weekend. I guess it's starting tonight, but you, you get. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know next. Next one up on the slate is a Big 12 matchup starting tonight as well, with Easter being on Sunday. We have number 16, Oklahoma State. They're going to Fort Worth to play the unranked TCU Horned Frogs. Um, I believe TCU will be without Braden Taylor just for the opener tonight as he was ejected in the finale of the Texas Tech series. But nonetheless, a really good series. TCU might be unranked, but they're really good. Oklahoma State can, you know, they can have a deadly offense and they have great pitching uh, as they normally do. So I'm going to go, I'm probably going to go TCU. I'm going to say Oklahoma state wins tonight and TCU win the final two. Oklahoma state had a huge series win against the Longhorns uh, winning four, three in the finale uh, in the rubber match, which was big. I mean, they, they look really good, both teams right now. Uh, UT does as well, and it looks like it's going to be a four-team race um, for the Big 12 regular season championship, obviously. They'll have to go to Arlington and play in the end-of-season tournament um, to determine their final standings. But looking forward to a really competitive series this weekend with some really good pitching. Yeah, um, yeah great pitching this week. Obviously, Braden Taylor um, going to miss the first game, I believe. Or is I think it, so. Or is it first if, two? if they played one midweek game, I believe he missed the first. One. I think they did. So they'll miss the first game tonight. Um, obviously after getting ejected on Sunday in Lubbock over some frustration with the umpire. Um, it should be a great series. Um, I'll probably go TCU as well. Uh, the home crowd's gonna be big for them, I think. Oklahoma State's been shaky on the road. I mean, a lot of college baseball teams are. Um, but they've been a little shakier on the road. Um, so I'll, I'll go with TCU this week, um, kind of in the Big 12 here. Yeah, I like it. I think, like you said, the way TCU Stadium is, it's really weird. Like, they don't have that many seats, but their seats are, like, get steep really quick. And it's almost like like the fans behind each dugout and the plate are, like, almost on top of the field. Now they have some, like, grass, like, lawn seats in that in right field. But other than that, it's all, like, on top of you in the infield, and I think – that's good. I just wish there were more seats and it'd be a lot cooler, but great field. Um, went there for, you know, a game against Texas Tech last year. And it was a really cool field. It's just kind of weird. That I don't think it's great for the opposing team, but I thought it was great for a home team to have those stands like that. I just don't know how conducive, 
conducive it is to a high capacity uh, ballpark. But um, next series up, probably the series of the weekend is number three, Florida at number 11, Tennessee. Um, I mean, Tennessee has arguably the best offense in the country right now. I think um, Caglione or however you say his name is leading the country in homers with like 16 already. He's probably, he might hit the 30 mark, maybe not as you know, the competition ramps up as the season goes. I don't know if he'll get to 30, but nonetheless, a really impressive season. Even, even if he gets to 20 and, you know, barely gets over 20 is a great year for him. Played really well. Uh, he pitches as well, I believe. And Tennessee always up there at the top. Probably has the best pitching staff as a whole in the country while having a you know a pretty good offense as well. They have Maui Ahuna in the infield transfer from Kansas. And they have a few other guys. They lost um, some big names, but they've recouped some guys as well. So their team is pretty well-rounded and I'll be looking for a big series. I'm going to go with number three, Florida, on the road. I think Florida will take two of three. I like it. Um, it's all of their two powerhouses in the SEC, like you said, going at it. Um, this is tough. Florida's been – they look really good right now. Um, Tennessee home crowd should be crazy. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with Tennessee. I think they're I think the, I think they're going to win the Landers start. And I can see them taking one more because I, I just think they're a team that's got a, a trump card and just an elite pitcher, right? So if he has a good outing, which I think they'll win that one, um, I'll go I'll go Tennessee to pick up one more game that in the over the weekend, um, split the final two games with Florida, and um, now I'll go Tennessee at home this weekend. I like it. All right, and next one we have is the lone Pac-12 matchup that we're talking about this weekend. Oregon State is actually unranked right now. Um, they play number 25, Oregon, and Eugene. Oregon just sneaked into the rankings this week, have been on the fringe pretty much the whole season, uh, it seems like. I'm going with Oregon State. They have experience. They've won you know, multiple national championships as of even as of a few years ago. I think in 2019 they won. And uh, they travel. they're going to travel well to this, obviously, and they have a big fan base across the state. I assume they dominate the area in terms of baseball fans. So I want to go with Oregon State to take the road series win over the ranked Oregon Ducks. I like it. Um, I'll go I'll go Oregon just for the sake of being different. Again, I'll, I'll go Oregon. Um, definitely a down year by the standard at Oregon State. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that's got a, cr- a crazy environment, um, especially for kind of a West Coast school, not known for having crazy baseball environments. But they've got – um, awesome environments there uh, up in um, Corvallis, and obviously they're on the road this week in Eugene. But um, should be a good series. Uh, I'm gonna take Oregon in the rivalry series, just gonna think they're at home. Um, they're they're hot. They they crack the rankings, and this could be a big series for them. Um, hopefully no letdowns, but um, yeah, I'll go with Oregon. Just to be, again, could be a little bit different. Right, I like it. Um, another ACC series we have here is number 20 Miami at number seven Virginia. Uh, Miami was a fixture in the top 10 last season, uh, hosted a, a super, I believe. And they travel to face number seven, Virginia, who's been a fixture in the top 10 this season uh, to this point. So I'm going with Virginia. A little bit of a road trip there for the Hurricanes. And I think Virginia, you know, they've been playing really well this season. No matter, I think no matter really where they've played, they have pretty good home and road splits. So I'm going to I'm gonna take Virginia to uh, beat Miami and you know, get a top 20 series victory at home. 
Yeah, same here. I'm going to go for ooh, same here. I'm going to go Virginia. Um, they look really good again. They're, they're another team that's gotten pretty hot as of late. Um, so I'll go Virginia in a big in a big ACC series weekend against Miami. Um, kind of maintain. I try and keep keep pace with Wake Forest. Um, yeah, I take this one for Miami. All right, and then the last one we have is an SEC matchup. Um, Number five, Arkansas at Ole Miss. Two of probably the five best atmospheres in the country going head-to-head. You know, Ole Miss playing at what they call Swayze. One of the best, probably the best atmosphere in the country. Going to be big. Ole Miss, obviously, the defending champs. Uh, They won it last season, beating OU in the final series in the College World Series. Looking forward to see how this shakes out. Obviously, Arkansas is really, really good. Ranked number five for a reason. Well-rounded roster, pitching staff as well. Ole Miss unranked at the moment. Um, but I think this will be a close series. But ultimately, I think Arkansas is going to win it. I, I'll say Arkansas wins the first two and Ole Miss wins the finale. I'll go with you on that. Um, definitely going to Arkansas. I, obviously, like you said, the Ole Miss environment is um, is elite, and like you said, one of the thought the best in the country. That said, the talent discrepancy this year, um, I mean, it'd be a huge upset, obviously, for Ole Miss being unranked, beating five Arkansas. Um, but I'm gonna go Arkansas, definitely won the first one. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll say, I'll say they won the first two, and Ole Miss takes the uh, avoids a sweep on Sunday at home. Or are they? They're probably playing Saturday, not Sunday this week. I believe that. Series, I think that starts tomorrow. Dang, I guess they're playing uh, on Easter Sunday. There are so, some games on um, Easter. I don't know why, but there are some. Yeah. Um, most, I mean, I think most teams, obviously a lot of the SEC schools play Thursdays, um, Thursday through Sunday, Thursday through Saturday, sorry. Most, uh, all the Big 12 teams, most other conferences play uh, Friday to Sunday, but most of them um, starting tonight. But, um, yeah, this one, I think, I think you're right. I think it does start tomorrow. So, interesting. And then to round it out, just including Texas Tech, they actually have a non-conference series this weekend. Um, they're hosting North Dakota State. It's going to start tomorrow, and then they have a doubleheader Saturday to round it out, and they will have the day off on Easter. I'm hoping for a sweep. Um, they had tonight's game postponed due to winter conditions in North Dakota. Have, you know, gave them trouble, you know, getting to Texas. So delayed it a day, starting tomorrow. Hoping for a sweep and hopefully get back on track before having a huge week next week. They go to Stanford for a midweek and then they go to OU uh, for the series. So going to be really big um, next, what, eight games for them before they come back home for a midweek. Like you said, looking for a good performance this weekend, just all around kind of from top to bottom. Texas tech is kind of a, you know, tune up usually the midweeks of the tune ups, but um You'd like to see a bit of a tune-up this weekend against uh, North Dakota State. It's, you know, frankly, just not the same. They're a little bit. They're just going to be. They're an inferior opponent, if you will. Um, you know, no disrespect, obviously, just different levels of competition, different levels of play there. So hopefully, it's a tune-up for a really big, uh, big series going to Stanford, going up to Palo Alto, I believe, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Um, you know, against a team that's currently in the top ten, likely going to be in the top ten. You know, at the time, I, I don't think they're going to lose the series to Cal. So. Um, yeah, love love to see them have a good weekend and obviously go up to uh, Palo Alto and at least take a game. Um, you know, be competitive, but definitely take. I'd love to see them take a game, kind of prove that they can still compete. Um, you know, with the top teams in the country, 
after maybe you know a, a bad weekend in Austin and then a shaky um, weekend against TCU. Obviously, they ended up, ended up winning the series, but um, kind of a shaky weekend. Obviously, the first game being a total kind of all over the place game, um, back and forth, you know, 20 to 16. So hopefully they they can kind of go up to Palo Alto and have a good win. But on the same note as Texas Tech. Um, kind of right around the mid- midpoint in the year. Obviously, all the non-conference stuff is done for the most part. A couple teams having some non-conference series kind of sprinkled in later in the year um, at the midpoint. But um, right around, this week was right around the time, um, you know, D1 baseball, perfect game. All the other major outlets released their um, All-American teams. And uh, Texas Tech first baseman Gavin Cash uh, named as a first as a first team All-American or a midseason first team All-American by D1 baseball and perfect game. Probably the two uh, two most reputable uh, and and probably the two biggest college baseball, uh, you know, outlets or media outlets, if you will. So um, really cool to see Cash get the recognition. Obviously, Gavin's having an awesome year. Um, definitely an early candidate for Big 12 Player of the Year. Obviously, Braden Taylor getting a lot of love there, you know, rightfully so. Uh, but I think Cash is going to make a push for it and um, obviously has the numbers to back it up right now. Yeah, for sure. The leading hitter um, on Texas Tech, and I think he's, you know, top five in the country in total hits. Leads the Big 12 and RBIs and home runs at the moment. I think hopefully that, you know, goes up a little bit with a big weekend against um, North Dakota State this weekend. Really like what he's been able to do this this season at this point. I think a lot of people didn't know the kind of potential he had playing, didn't really play at all last year. But Tech's roster as a whole is playing really well offensively. Just hope to see some guys, you know, stay hot and not have hot you know, flashes of their season where they have cold stretches as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to see how the season plays out. We'll have, you know, big series previews and stuff every week with a slight Texas Tech wrinkle, um, of course. But, you know, moving on, we have March Madness. Obviously, college basketball season concluded, both NIT and March Madness. UNT won the NIT tournament, and Texas Tech then the next day announced that NIT's head coach, Grant McCasland, was hired as Texas Tech's head coach. So big hire there for Texas Tech, and congrats to UNT for winning uh, the NIT. But for March Madness, uh, we had the Final Four last Saturday, and two great games. I mean, number nine, Florida Atlantic, playing number five, San Diego State. San Diego State ended up winning by one, 72 to 71 on a buzzer beater. FIU was up 14 with just under 14 minutes remaining. And, I mean, the buzzer beater was, you know, baseline about 15 feet away. Um, you know, just a great shot. I think that was probably the play they drew up in that final timeout. And, I mean, what a story for Florida Atlantic as well, uh, making it to the Final Four. And conference being from Conference USA, I believe. Um, I mean, they're one shot away from being in the national championship. And San Diego State, you know, never known for their offense, produced on offense when they needed to down the stretch, which is big for them. And then the other game, um, I'll let you get to, but it wasn't as fun to watch. And I think that was probably the more anticipated game. So it was kind of disappointing that it wasn't quite as close. Yeah, um, definitely what was. People kind of viewed it as like the two worst teams left and the two best teams left are playing each other. Um, kind of widely viewed Miami versus UConn as the two best teams left. And a lot of people were saying, you know, winner of that game is winning it all. And um, didn't really disagree with that. Um, but UConn rolled. They won 79, 72 to 59, pardon me. Um, 
which kind of we'll get back to that final score when we talk about the national championship. But um, they, they led it by as many as 20. I mean, they rolled. They were up big. Uh, Miami got a couple garbage time buckets um, to get to 59 and make it a 13-point margin of victory for UConn. But ultimately, the, the UConn dominated. They continued their, their dominance. Um, I think it was fairly clear, at least to me, um, after the two games, it was like, man, if ever if, if someone watched both of those games, like UConn's going to absolutely demolish San Diego State. Um, and it was no slight to San Diego State. It's just a matter of the fact that UConn was different. They looked so different. Um, and that's ultimately what happened in the national championship game. We'll get to that in, in, in a second. But um, it really wasn't close. Miami really – they tried to make a run late. It's just they didn't have enough time. And ultimately UConn um, – they put the starters back in, locked it down, make sure it was really out of hand before they fully arrested everybody, uh, and, and obviously uh, went up by 13. But just an absolute dominating performance again from UConn, and something we we saw continue as well into the next game. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Miami being the fifth seed, fifth seed had never uh, played really well in the Final Four. I th- there was some crazy bad record for five seeds in the Final Four, probably because they were normally going to get up against you know one two or three seeds but going up against a four seed in UConn who probably probably would have been a three seed had I done you know the seeding but of course I was saying that um I mean UConn rolled like you said when 72-59 Miami could never really get anything going offensively never really getting a rhythm I saw that and it was funny because I was like if Miami couldn't get to 60 I'm not getting to 60 points yeah that's exactly what I thought. So, my my final score for the Natty, the final score prediction was 71-59. I said UConn by 12, and I ended up being pretty close. UConn ended up winning 76-59, which is similar to their 72-59 score in the final four. Um, but San Diego State did, in fact, not get to 60 points. And when they played UConn in the national championship, UConn led for pretty much the whole time. It seemed like San Diego State had a fast start, and they were up seven or so, I think, in the early going. And then basically, you know, with 12 minutes left in the first or so, UConn kind of went on a roll. And they, you know, went one by 17, which was big, one of the bigger margins in recent memory, probably, as as it seems like most national championship games come down to the final minute or so. You know, San Diego State brought it within four, you know, in the waning minutes of the second half. And ultimately, you know, I think what they were talking about on the broadcast, which was Jim Nance's final, um, you know, final four national championship. Um, they were talking about something like coming out of that locker room. San Diego State said to get it to six points by 10 minutes remaining. And they didn't do that. I think it was like still 14 point lead with by UConn with 10 remaining. But I mean, San Diego State with like eight minutes left, they cut it down quick. And I think they outscored UConn like in the first. 13 minutes of the second half they outscored him by like 12 or something and ultimately made it really close but then the last you know four or five minutes was kind of UConn going on a roll kind of putting the finishing touches on what was a dominating um, journey through the March Madness tournament winning every game by double digits Um, I think this was I think the Miami game in the final four was their smallest margin of victory at 13 and I think this was either second second or third smallest at 17 crazy Crazy. A dominating run um, by UConn, and which was a really complete team. A lot of really good players. I said this, I 
Jordan Hawkins, the guard for them, I think has probably the best shooting potential I've seen in a while from college athletes. Obviously, there's all these guys in the G League and out of high school, but I don't really pay attention to those guys as much outside of, you know, high, high ranked guys. But in terms of college guys, he's really, really good. I I assume he's going to be a top 10 pick just thinking about him, like how he plays and kind of what he offers. But they have a complete roster. I mean, Sunogo, uh, Klingon, they have two seven foot two guys that gave my or San Diego State serious issues. Um, and yeah, they just had all the tools that you needed to be a national championship team. And they they did just that rolling their way to the title. Yeah, I mean, they they like I said, their team was our lowest, smallest margin of victory in the final four. Um, just a dominating performance, like I said. Um, yeah, obviously they they brought it within a few points. Um, it was like well, they cut out to four with like eight or six, eight or seven minutes left, and you can call a timeout, kind of rallied the troops and um, put the starters in and, and and locked it down. So, um, I think I think the stat was they showed it late, late, late in the game, which was San Diego State had four different like field goal like droughts of three minutes or more. That means for at least at a minimum of 12 minutes of the entire game, they they, they didn't make a single field goal. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you can't you can't win basketball games that way. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's no shame. Everybody else went down the same way against UConn and just absolutely getting rolled. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people saying that that March Madness is maybe overrated, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, or that you know, it's not as fun when the high seeds. Like it's cool to see some upsets early, but like. At the end of the day, everybody wants ones and twos in the final, and I think I think we're somewhere in the middle. Like people were like, "Oh, this is the best final four ever." Like those are people are also wrong. I think um, there's some middle ground. I think we're kind of lying in the middle where it was really cool to see the parity this year and not have a one seed in the in the elite eight or the you know, one seed in the final four. But at the same time, I like the fact that like the for those that watched the FAU SDSU game, like it was a great basketball game, but it was like it was some really really sloppy basketball being played um and then I, i'm never a fan of seeing blowouts in championship games like i'm never a fan of it um unless obviously it's like it's my team other than that like I, i'm never really a fan of it I, like the like the georgia tcu thing sucked um this wasn't very fun to watch like it got interesting i guess with like seven minutes left but you kind of always knew that, that UConn was just gonna pull away right like the bench the bench was in it's like man if they just got hawkins back in like they, they couldn't they just couldn't guard him so um yeah ultimately i think we lost somewhere in the middle um glad uconn won i'm happy for uconn i uconn's a, a team that i for some reason have like take a liking to for some reason like i remember sitting at a pluckers for those that don't know or that aren't from central texas pluckers is the greatest wing place in the world like there's no there is no better restaurant to get wings at and I, like the, I, maybe that's my hot take but i don't want to do a food one but like pluckers is like the greatest wing place ever and i'll i'll take that to the grave um, but they, uh, I was sitting and I was at a pluckers with my dad. I was like, I don't remember how old I was. Um, but it's when Kemba Walker hit that, like that step back jumper to beat, uh, I forget who it was in the big East championship game. And then they went on that run right like right after that, that's what sparked the March madness run. And then it went it all. And I was like the, like the biggest Kemba Walker fan in the state of Texas, probably at the time I was, that was my guy. I was loving it. Um, so I kind of, I guess, kind of, kind of take a take a liking to UConn because of that. But glad to see him win. Um, 
blue blood potentially. Yeah, I think Might they be. are. I think UConn is. I that's their fifth national title and not too long. With um, three different, with three, four different coaches. I believe which so. Is yeah, but I think that Kemba shot was in 2011 because so I would have been eight. Beat they beat San Diego State in the Elite Eight, and that was with Kawhi, and that was Kawhi's last year. So I think it was 2011 yeah. that they won yeah, it with Kemba. Been, yeah, um, so I'd have been eight. Vibing at the pluckers. Yeah. Of course. But no, I mean, I think the past three years, we've had more upsets than in March Madness than I think in a long time because, well, one, the Portal. transfer portal. And then Portal's two, the biggest one. As of late is the NIL. And yeah, you see a lot of, you know, blue bloods. And granted, I think UConn's a blue blood. We see a lot of blue bloods not playing well. Now, I'll give Kansas the benefit of the doubt because Bill Self hadn't coached them you know, the Big 12 tourney or March yeah. Madness. And I had Kansas going far. So I don't think Kansas loses in the second round if Bill Self was there. I, and a lot of people say, you know, coaching doesn't make a difference at the end of the day. It's about the players. But when your coach is the best coach in the country, it makes or, a big difference. Or you're going up against a, a team that's also really, really well coached. Like, Musselman's a great head coach. I don't think, right. that, I don't think that, that element of that loss got – I think that kind of got overlooked. It's like, oh man, like Jan Wilson and all those guys got beat. Like, like yeah, but first of all, Arkansas is not a bad squad. They have talented yeah. players, and two, like Eric Musselman's an awesome head coach, dude. He's a really good head coach. Done some yeah. awesome things at Arkansas. So I think that that kind of got lost in translation at some point. Is like, yeah, not having Bill Self sucked for Kansas, and like that it did play, it absolutely played into it. But at the same time, it's also like. They also didn't have their head coach against a really, really, really good head coach, like well, well coached team, um, in Musselman's squad in Arkansas. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think obviously that that that, that kind of plays into this, um, and maybe and, and that's the that's the bracket UConn came out of, right? Like, so maybe UConn doesn't make it, but also the argument's hard to make because they were so dominant. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, the parity, the big ones NIL, um, and, and I think the biggest, like the the overall biggest factor is. The portal, which goes hand in hand with NIL. Um, I like the parity personally. Like, I, I think it's good for. I think we're gonna start seeing it in college football too. Like, I think we're gonna start seeing schools, um, you know, be less. It's gonna be less and less, you know, o- oversaturated uh, at the top schools, and we're starting to see some more competitiveness um, because of the NIL, because of the transfer portal. And I think it's it's great. We're definitely seeing it in college baseball. That's for sure. Um, I mean, shoot. Like I said, Gavin Cash might be the Big 12 Player of the Year, and and he wasn't on the roster. He was at Texas last year. He wasn't right. on, the, on the Texas Tech roster. So, um, it's just examples of that. Not that Tech's like a a bad. I mean, they're they're a perennial top 25, top 30 program. Um, but Texas is like te- Texas is if there's if there was ever a blue blood in college baseball, it's Texas, right? Like, so the fact that schools are Texas is losing really talented players in baseball is another example of that. And uh, I think you talked about it with, with basketball and. Hopefully it kind of continues, but also I think we'll kind of find a little bit of a middle ground at the tournament where we start getting, you know, maybe like a three or a two, um, making it far so we can kind of get some. So what can be justified is truly the best team in the in the country that year. Um, that kind of wraps up college basketball March Madness. Obviously, probably won't talk much college basketball, um, barring some sort of big Texas Tech transfer news. Probably won't touch on it much until um, you know back you know when college baseball gets going again. And, in the fall, uh, late in the fall, early early winter. So, um, but kind of moves us to the NFL, which really wasn't much this week. There's no free agency news. I looked. Let's say anything's like, okay, the Chargers resigned. 
Backup center Will Clapp. Granted, all-pro name. Will Clapp is an all-pro name. Let the, I will be very clear. But it's not like it's not, I don't know if that's pod-worthy news. Um, maybe it is because of his name, but like there's there was no big free agency signings that like like I wouldn't have known about that unless I like was a Chargers fan. Like Shefty ain't tweeting that or Rapsheet ain't tweeting it out. Like that was like a Chargers beat reporter thing. Um or like Chargers like local ESPN reporter type deal. So um nothing really big this week. Obviously a lot of like rumors, like obviously like the Odell rumor with the Ravens that he got an offer that I'm sure if you want you can hit on that if you want to, or the D hop stuff, like there's more teams being talked about with D-Hop and yada, yada, yada. Um, a lot of rumors, a lot of hearsay. It's kind of just been kind of – that's kind of the, that's the theme right now. Like we, like I talked about last week, um, we're going to start seeing it, that, that not much is going to happen. Like Zeke's not going to be signing top after free agency. Like John Johnson's another big name. Um, that safety that, you know, fits a lot of schemes that um, they're probably not going to sign top after the draft. Like it's just that guys are going to wait. Because the market's just waiting. Teams are going to have a holding period. They're finalizing draft plans. Um, they kind of want to get through the draft weekend before they start making these moves again and see where their money is. Because, I mean, who knows? Teams teams can go to the draft saying, oh, I'm not going to move up. But, you know, say a team is like, oh, man, we didn't think Jalen Carter would be it. And I don't think this is going to happen. But, like, oh, man, Tyree Wilson fell to 12. We're going to go get him. Well, now you have to pay him more money. You don't have to pay that guy more money. Than, and maybe, maybe you don't move any year. Maybe you trade a first next year. And then you've got two first round picks you got to pay, right? Like, so that affects the salary cap, kind of gets overlooked. But um, as an aspect of this, kind of why it's a cool down right now. But, um, you know, if you want to hit on the Odell thing um, or whatever, you can hit on, that, on, on the kind of the rumors that pertain to you guys. And then um, obviously we'll talk about some of these, you know, pro day visits or these top 30 visits in a second. But um, not much enough on this. But if you want to talk this Odell, this Odell thing, uh, go ahead. Yeah, like you said, really nothing's happened. Um, Within the past week, really, you know, past week and a half, two weeks. Um, and I think, you know, the Ravens did offer Odell a contract, and I don't know if he's going to wait to accept it. I hope it's in the 12 or $13 million ranges. I mean, I would even be upset if we signed him regardless for anything over $10 million, just because I don't think he's anything more than a wide receiver, too. I think you're paying for the name, and he hasn't played in a long time. And he's torn two ACLs in the last two se- two seasons that he's played in, b- that being 2020 and 2021. And, you know, really getting a long list of injuries, and that's never great in a receiver that's over 30 years old. He's going to be 31 in week nine. I, won't, I wouldn't probably be a fan of the signing, and I don't know if he will sign. I know the Jets are obviously interested with, you know, presumed trade of Aaron Rodgers coming soon as well. And then the Rams are interested in uh, reuniting with Odell as they won the Super Bowl with him. And that was the last team Odell played for. Um, but yeah, I don't think really anyone's going to sign until after the draft. You mentioned Zeke. I think he's after the draft. Um, after May 1st, probably May 1st will be the first day, being that the draft ends on the 29th, have the 30th. And I think May 1st is the first day you can sign guys where it doesn't affect the compensatory pick formula for guys you lost in the same offseason. I'm going to see, you know, what they call a, really the third wave of free agency after the draft in which the biggest names remaining get signed. You see Jadavian Clowney is another name. And, you know, a lot of guys like that, the top names remaining, you'll probably see signed after the draft, waiting to see what teams are truly in the market for. And if they wait to sign until after the draft, the players are going to have more leverage 
um, being that the team's exhausted other options, that being, you know, the early wave of free agency and the draft. So I don't really think anyone's going to sign. We might see Odell before the draft, but just because he has a contract already and his value's already been well um, documented. So maybe him, but outside of that, I don't think we're going to have anyone sign uh, before the draft. We might see Aaron Rodgers trade, but that probably won't be till you know, either draft day or a couple of days before the draft. Um but yeah, that's pretty much it. All I got. Um, but yeah, top 30 visits are happening with you know, the top draft prospects and teams. A lot of guys are going from one visit to another to another, not really having much time off. Um, in terms of visits, a lot of the top prospects you'll see, oh, Bryce Young visited this, so oh, CJ Stroud visited here. But most of the visits you won't hear too much about just because, one, there's so many, and two, it's not as relevant unless it's your team. Most of the time I'll hear I've heard about like four Ravens visits, but outside of that, I haven't heard of any. Um, but yeah, definitely some guys, you know, taking their tour around the U.S. right now um, with all these visits uh, with teams in the first round. Yeah, I think I think the other thing to point out, like, for example, the Ravens may not do a, a, a top 30 visit with Deontay Banks. I mean, the guys are right down. He's right in their backyard. Um, like I know for a fact that and I'll get to this in my ice bath, but like the Chargers had an unofficial top 30 visit with Addison and his pro day. Cause he's right in their backyard. Like they went and they sent the whole squad down there because it's easy for them to send them to down to the, you know, the practice facility and down to campus at SC as opposed to sending everybody out to, you know, way out in Boston to go watch, to go watch Zay flowers, just to give a comparison to a position, right? Like, you know, so it, it, there are oftentimes you'll see like local kids maybe not get the official top 30 visit if they're a top prospect. Um, but again, a lot of these top 30 visits, like it, like it's called a top 30 visit, but it's not like consensus top 30 players. Like, I, cause I was confused, like, you know, a long time ago, I first heard about this. It's like, Oh, this bomb got a top 30 visit. Like, what are we doing? You know, a few years ago, but it's, but it's, it's more about like these teams want to get these guys in there showing interest in him. And they want to meet with him, you know, maybe it's a day around four guy they like, um, you know, not every visit. And some teams do this. Some teams only do visits with with top 30 prospects, but it's kind of a waste of time. Like, like if you're a team that doesn't get tackle, why meet with any tackles? There's no point. So teams that like, you know, the Chargers met with a couple corners last year. I think they've had they're a team that typically does not get their visits leaked that much. They're it's similarly to the Ravens. The Chargers are very close to the vest. Um, Obviously, every team is less and less as we get this more, as we become more digital and more connected and interconnected to each other between with the internet and Twitter and you know all insiders left and right. Um, more you know less and less teams can be as close to the vest as they'd like, but the Chargers are a team that's still pretty close to the vest when it comes to a their draft plans and b, which is ironic because I have an inkling to what their draft plans are um from an inside source within the building but um or somebody that i am somebody that i trust highly has a source within the building that has kind of given an inkling to what their draft plans are um which is kind of ironic that i'm saying that they're close to the best team but like they don't get their like the ravens don't often um like i think the bills are another one that like they don't really get their like the Chiefs are another one that like they don't get their top 30 visits leaked that often. They keep it pretty low key. Um, 
but again, it just depends. Um, like I said, a lot of a lot of times you're going to hear about you're going to hear about top top 50 prospects. Like you're going to hear where they go because their agents want to get it out there, you know, X for X, Y, and Z reasons, whatever. But um, just get, that's kind of the name of the game right now. Like, oh man, this team limit with this guy, um, this team out with this guy. So um, that's kind of the big the big news right now, I guess. Kind of like I said, it's a dead period. Um, it's waiting for the draft, which is three weeks from today. Um, obviously Brett and I are very excited. Um, yeah, that's kind of it for the NFL. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to add for that? Uh, I don't think so. No, in terms of, I just, I never know what the Ravens are doing. I get, yeah, like I can kind of think how they're going to do based off how I know the front office, but I don't hear anything from anybody. I never hear about anything. So it's kind of annoying that I never really know. I never know who they're taking, with yeah. any pick. Um, and I think there's a chance that Lamar is traded on draft night. I'll just say it now. I I really thought it was a chance since they put the tag on him just because of the whole, the way the non-exclusive franchise tag works. But, you know, the longer we wait and based off their pre-draft press conference, I think there is a good chance that he's traded on draft night. And I think there's a small chance that a trade has already worked out now and they're waiting till draft night and they don't want to leak anything or facilitate the trade to preserve leverage for both teams. So I think, you know, that trade is very likely. Now, depending on what team the trade will be with, would be would be when you know about it. If, if it's the Colts, you're going to know when the Colts are on the clock. If it's the, you know, Pats or Commanders or whoever else, you're going to know when they're on the clock at 14 or 16. So I think that's a possibility. I think the Ravens already have a plan in place which is why I'm never really worried. I know we're going to be competitive as long as they're healthy. So while it would suck that Lamar's not a quarterback, whoever we have a quarterback, unless you're turning the ball over every possession, I know we're going to be competitive. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to it. I know time's going by really fast, but it's still unfortunate that we're, you know, three weeks and one hour away from the draft. Um, but I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting to it. Just so much news in such a short period of time. I mean, in a four-hour period of time, the whole NFL changes drastically, and I just love it. I love getting news. I hate not having any, you know, right now and probably for another two and a half weeks um, leading up to a few days before the draft. But pretty much it. Um, you know, hopefully I find a little bit more out about who the Ravens are visiting with. But like I said, no one really ever knows. Um, they don't – I don't think they have anyone on Twitter – that has inside sources except like for the media people, which they don't really know what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, just looking forward to it. The biggest, you know, point in the off season and really excited to see how it all goes down uh, on it on April 27th, but pretty much wraps it up. Um, I guess we'll round it out with the ice bath. I'll kick it off just real quick. Basically just excited to watch the masters this weekend. Uh, watched it all day today. Just wrapped up about five minutes ago. So many storylines, like we mentioned in the golf segment, and you know, probably about eight hours a day, nine hours a day. It's you know being televised, starting at 7 a.m. I don't know if I'm watching or 8 a.m. Central. I don't think I'm watching it that early, but I think I started at 8:30 this morning. Um, you know, until what is it, six o'clock. So pretty much all day. Um, I mean, it's the event of the year, like we said, and really excited to see how you know guys go up and down the leaderboard down the stretch who makes the cut who doesn't and you know see how it ends on sunday yeah no doubt um 
I'm looking forward to it too. It should be good. Um, like I'm honest, back this week, like I kind of alluded to, um, a lot of buzz around the Chargers and Jordan Addison right now. Um, he had an interview with Rich Eisen this past week where he basically reminded everybody that uh, his older receivers coach at Pitt is now there is now a coach for the Chargers. Um, and then of course it kind of got put out that they had an extended interview meeting with him at the pro day in LA. Um, so again, more, more of the way that teams will do that is like, a, it's basically an unofficial top 30. Send the whole squad out there instead of having him come into the facility, get all, get, like I said, to get, a, get everyone out there and go see him. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, uh, not, not much more, just more speculation. Um, more just speculation with, um, you know, kind of what's going on there. Obviously, it's nothing set in stone to the media. Um, now, I will say, I'm not going to say like where I got the, where I like who, like who I know that has this source. I think he, like, he's never told me who the source is. Um, but I've got a pretty good idea of, of a couple people it could be within the building. Um, I'm not going to say names. Obviously, Addison's one of them, but there's a cluster of four pass catchers that are the most talked about names in, in the entire org. And then there's another player at a position that's not pass catcher um, that they would run the card in for if he fell to him. It's not Bijan. I'll say that's not Bijan. It's, it's a defensive player. Um that if he was there for him, they would run the card in immediately for this guy at 21. A um, couple of things that like they don't think Bijan will be there at 20. I guess like most teams don't think that. Like everyone in draft media is like, man, the closer we get, like teams don't think he's going to be there. Um, and obviously, like I guess another one that's not really that surprising, like they don't think JSN is going to be there at 21 either. Um, so take with that what you will about the four pass catchers. It noticed it's not, didn't say receiver, I said pass catcher. Um, kind of a cluster of four there. So, um, but yeah, no, um, a lot of buzz with the, with the Chargers. I, like I said, I got my hands on all 22 tapes, so I, I watched a lot of Addison tape this week. Um, kind of when I got some time in between studying, wanted to take a brain break or whatever. Um, should be it, it should be kind of interesting to see how this kind of unfolds. Um, I think I will know who we're gonna pick. We're on the clock. Obviously, last year I had no clue because of the position that the team was in with really no weakness. Obviously, um, at time no glaring weakness. Thing need um, this year it's kind of op- open season. Obviously, I've got a little bit, a little bit of an inside, um, you know, knowledge. I guess you could say um, this is kind of the first time I've ever had that kind of stuff. So it's kind of cool. Kind of be trying to be careful about it. Obviously, I'm not trying to put everybody on blast or break the rules. Obviously, it's not been it's been told to me and a couple other people, um, a few other people. I just don't want to, you know, take that privilege for granted. But um. Cool. It's cool to talk about um, the Addison thing. I feel like I could bring up on the pod because it's, um, you know, the, the connection was made this week, so I didn't feel like I needed to kind of be sensitive to that. But there's definitely four pass catchers that they're looking at um, that I'd be excited about. All four of them. All they're all very they're all very different. I'll say this: they're all very different. They provide different skill sets and, and profiles, but I would be happy with all four of them. Um, you know, I think people get too focused on being negative with a pick and oh, like it's bad because this could have taken this guy with me today, like. Be happy with with the pick you got if you make and and find the good in it because obviously the NFL team sees a, sees a reason for it. Um, and I'm excited about the draft. Obviously, um, you know, like Brett said, we're we're uh, we're three weeks and what 42 minute 48 minutes out, so we're close. Home stretch. 
Um, yeah, that wraps it up today for the Cold Seat Podcast. We've got obviously mock draft 4.0. It's crazy, dude. 4.0 comes out on Monday. Um, that'll be a second round based off of the round one mock we did this past week. Uh, it was a great marathon of a mock, to be honest, but it was a great episode, great mock. Um, check it out if you haven't. I'm going to go ahead and I waited to post it on Instagram. I was going to post it today. I wanted to wait, kind of, you know, back it up a little bit closer to closer to the to mock 2.0 or 4.0 since they're kind of tied together, intertwined. So I'll probably post about it uh, tonight. And then obviously this will go out tomorrow morning on Friday. So be sure to check for that. Obviously check for mock draft uh, one or four point. I keep saying one or two. 4.0. Mock draft 4.0 comes out on, on, on Monday. Um, ties in with the first round mock we did. Obviously a second round mock off of that. Um, but yeah, that, that's it for me. I'll let Brett kind of close it out with any comments and we'll get out of here. Yeah, I don't think I have anything, like you said. Um, mock draft Monday 4.0 coming out this Monday. We have three more, including this one. Um, you know, five and six, which we don't have definite plans for. I think the sixth one might be just a one round collaborative mock with no trades. And looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, that concludes episode 45 here today on the Cold Seat Podcast. Follow us on social media at Cold Seat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Stay up to date on, you know, the biggest news and when the latest episodes come out. And we will see you all on Monday. See you all soon.